Hello, welcome to Pep Talks, People Empowering People, where we interview everyday people telling their stories of not-so-everyday resiliency. We hope to inspire you get through your adversity after learning their stories. Pep Talks is brought to you by Mind Over Matter Books, children and adults books that allow you to learn skills to overcome your adversity so that you can live a more resilient life. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Today I am with Brianna, a 16-year-old student who is a sophomore in high school who lives with a rare genetic disorder called Wolfram syndrome. She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was just seven, just a couple days after her birthday. Three years later, to the date, on June 16th of 2014, she was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called Wolfram syndrome. For those of you who don't know, Wolfram syndrome is a rare autosomal genetic condition found in one in a million people across the world. There are four main characteristics to this. One, diabetes mellitus, which is insulin-dependent diabetes. Two, diabetes insipidus, altered kidney function. Three, deafness. And four, optic atrophy. Brianna has all four manifestations of the syndrome. It is a progressive disease, but with the help of doctors at Washington University and St. Louis Children's Hospital, she is part of a research clinic that is searching for a way to stop the progression and reverse the damages. I am so grateful to have Bree and her mother, Tammy, here with me today to talk about this disease and its impact it has had on Bree's life. So welcome, Bree and Tammy. How are you two doing today? Good. We're good. Thank you. Good. And we're surviving right now during this time. We're in the coronavirus uh, quarantine. So we've been home for a little over a week. Bree, how are you holding up? Um, I'm losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I think a lot of kids your age probably are. Why don't we start with this, Bree? Take me back to when you were seven years old. Do you remember anything going on with your body at that time when you were diagnosed with the diabetes? Um, I remember staying in the hospital and when I came home, but that's about it. Like, I don't remember really learning how to handle diabetes, but about two months after, I was diagnosed, I got an insulin pump, so I was only on shots for like two months. Okay. And that was a big change of life. All of a sudden, you have this pump that you're relying on. Did you have to change your diet? One of the things that we had to change fairly quickly was that every time Brianna ate anything, even a piece of fruit, she needed to get a shot. And she figured out that Every time she ate, she would require a shot of insulin. So we had a a difficult time at first having our seven-year-old daughter 
not want to eat because she equated that with needing a shot. So we went through a little phase there. And that, in fact, is one of the reasons why we were able to get her on on an insulin pump fairly quickly. Oh, my gosh. Well, that had to be really difficult. I mean, that's kind of like a Pavlov's response in a negative way. Like every time I eat, I get a shot and that hurts. So that had to be really traumatic for you to have to live with. Mm-hmm. I imagine. Wow. So you're seven years old when this is going on and you're learning how to to eat differently. You have these shots coming and then you finally get this pump so that you don't have to get these shots every time you eat. Did that make things a little bit easier for you? Yeah, because I just had like a little, it was just a little device that I like um, put the numbers into and there was a two connected to my inset, which like gave me my insulin, but I did have to change it like every three days. So I did have to get a needle, but not every time I ate. So a little easier on you. The needle didn't come every time you ate. It just came every three days. Yeah. Still, it was a needle. Mm-hmm. Did you start to get used to the needle eventually? Yeah. Do you still have to use a needle? Yes. Okay. And is that still every three days? Yeah, about. Okay, but you've kind of developed some strength in taking in the needle. It doesn't feel that hard now, huh? I mean, it bothers me sometimes, like just knowing that it's a needle and that I don't like needles, but like I'm more used to it now. Good for you. Well, I'm proud of you. So for nine years now, you've been having to deal with a needle and that's a tough thing. I mean, kids are often scared of needles. They don't like to get their shots. They don't, they don't like any kind of needles in you. You didn't have a choice. You had to get used to them. And that in itself, that in itself was huge adversity for you to overcome, Brianna. I'm, I'm impressed that you were able to make it through and just, you're doing it. You're doing it now. You're doing what you got to do, huh? Yeah. Good for you. So now shortly after that, three years later, you were diagnosed with this Wolfram syndrome. Tell me what was going on that caused you to even get this, go see a doctor and, and end up with this diagnosis. Um, I think I was just like going to my eye doctor for like a checkup thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had to get eye job. And somehow they found, like, they, like, figured it out with that. But I don't really remember what happened. (laughs) Tammy, can you add to that? What do you remember? Yeah, so the Christmas prior to the June diagnosis, Brianna begged for one of those rainbow looms where you attach the rubber bands to a little plastic uh, contraption and make bracelets and things like that. So I purchased a container to help Brianna separate out all the colors of the rubber bands. And we sat at the kitchen table and we had thousands of rubber bands and Brianna was putting colors that weren't even remotely similar together. For example, she put together green and white and she put together purple and orange And I even scolded her and said, you know, I took the time to purchase this for you and I'm trying to help you stay organized, yet 
you're just doing this so quickly and you're not even paying attention to what you're doing. And she just looked at me totally stunned. She had no idea what I was talking about. I, I got a white paper plate out. I put it down and said, what color is this? And it was a blue rubber band. And I don't recall every single thing she said, but she had about half the colors wrong. Wow. Now, up until then, um, when she was in kindergarten, we had no problem with colors. She had no problem with matching. So I knew immediately this was not something that was, um, like she knew her colors. So this was a physical thing. So I made an appointment to see an ophthalmologist, but I also had a gut feeling that there was going to be more to the story. So I made the appointment for June because I wanted it to be when school had let out for summer. Um, again, at this point, we had already had several different diagnoses, including high frequency deafness, and then the diabetes, uh, mellitus, and then now this. So this was really just sort of icing on the cake. When we did ultimately get to the ophthalmologist in June here in Middleburg, he sent us directly to the Cleveland Clinic, Cole Eye Institute that day. And he made the appointment for us. He told us just to go directly there, that they would be waiting. And that was the day that we heard the words Wolfram syndrome for the first time. Wow. Wow. That had to be such a scary time for both of you. And Tammy, you foreseeing that this this is something big. Uh, She has diabetes already. She has deafness already. And now there's something going on with her inability to recognize various colors. You, you kind of saw the big picture there and recognized this was something big. And we're going to take a look at it after the school year ends to not add stress to Brie or yourself as a teacher. I'm, I'm sure this was a very trying time for you too. To say the least. And Brie, did you realize at this time something was going on? How were you feeling at this time? No, I don't remember like I remember going to the doctor, but I don't remember, like, sorting out the colors or anything. So, okay, you don't remember that experience. So no. you get this diagnosis, and you probably look it up and, and read about it, even though it's so rare. I think at the time that she was diagnosed, was there, like, 300 cases in the whole world? That, that's exactly right. There were three diagnosed cases in the world. We knew that there were probably more, as there usually are with rare diseases. And this is actually ultra rare. So not even just rare, <laughs> ultra rare. Um, Give me the number uh, again. How many, how many were there? How at that cases? point, there were several hundred, so 300 diagnosed cases. Okay. Wow. And since that time, though, we have learned that there are many more people who actually have Wolfram syndrome. but are not yet diagnosed because doctors aren't sure about it because it's an ultra rare syndrome. Wow. So we try to advocate and um, teach people about it, learn about it ourselves, collaborate with others, other parents, other kids, doctors. We meet once a year in order to surround ourselves with the people who would know the most and who also can help us that's a great thing to do that connecting with the other people that understand the disease is huge. It's got to give you some comfort. Have you actually met 
other kids and parents that have this condition? Yes, because um, when we go to St. Louis, it's like about like 30. About 30 families. Like about 30 families there. And some of them, like some of the people that have Wolfram syndrome are adults and some are just kids. So it like the numbers just like range. So like I know like the, the people I know, like that I meet in St. Louis, I know that they have it too. Wow, that has to be somewhat comforting for you to be able to connect to others who have the same condition as you so you don't feel so alone and yeah. lost. And you've maybe made some lifelong friends? Um, I don't really, like, talk to any of them, like, outside of that, besides, like, one that I, like, have on social media. But I don't talk to her too much. But, like, I know that I can, like, reach out to her if I need to. Oh, that's beautiful. And Tammy, how about you? Have you been able to reach out to other parents? Yeah, so the parents of the children who have Wolfram syndrome have a support group, Foundline. These are parents from all over, not only our country, but all over the world. And in fact, we annually come together to help one of the families from Jordan she has eight children, four of whom have Wolfram syndrome. Oh my God. And she has very little medical care, um, very little access to insulin and things like that. So the families come together. We prepare a package for her every year. And when we meet in July, she takes home the necessary things to take care of her four daughters. Oh my gosh. That is so sad. Four kids with limited resources. Right. Is this a genetic disease? Like what? What is, what do they know about Wolfram? Yeah. So both Brianna's biological father and I carry a mutated gene that about 1% of the population carries. So we all carry several genes that are mutant. Um, In fact, people carry seven to 10 genes that are mutant and it doesn't matter so long as you don't um, say create a, a baby where both the mutations match up. So in Brianna's case, the mutated gene that I carry for Wolfram syndrome matched up with the mutated gene that her dad carries. So she ended up getting both mutated genes and that's why it became dominant in her. Her older brother, Joey, carries only one of the genes, mine, and not Neil's. And so therefore... Um, Joey is just a carrier, but it didn't appear as dominant in him. Wow. You know, what you have a, probably a better chance of winning the lottery than having that happen. I imagine. Right. Wow. That's something. And, and, you know, I, I've been friends with you, Tammy, for I think 20 years. Yeah. And, and I know you have always been a very positive, upbeat person. Nobody I think would ever guess that, You've been living with this and having your daughter going through all this because you've just been a beacon of resiliency. I wondered if you guys could share with me how, like what you believe when you're going through this, this, the last nine years, what helped you to get through these difficult times, this diagnosis that had limited information on it and few people you know, to, to support you, luckily some, but what did you believe to get through? 
So I firmly believe that God doesn't make mistakes and that anything that anybody has is for an absolute reason. So Brianna is one of the strongest, most resilient people I've ever known. And she leads by example. So who am I to not exemplify resiliency when my daughter, who is the one who does this every day, is able to continue leading the best life that she knows how to lead? It's beautiful. So you've got a great role model at home. Usually kids look up to their moms and you're looking at her like every day she's living with this disease and the, the issues with her insulin, her vision, and her hearing. And so you continue to exemplify resiliency because she does. It's, that's a beautiful mother-daughter story, really is. And, you know, I know that uh, you two have a bond. You are super close. And, and Bree, would you say your mom's your go-to person when things get rough and when you're going through tough times here? Yeah. She's been your your main support through all of this, hasn't she? Yeah. yeah. And I know your brother and you have been, been pretty close through all of this, too. I think it's it sounds like from just talking to your mom that over the years it's brought you a bit closer. Is that a, a true statement? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Brianna doesn't know anything other than the brother that she now knows. And that's a young man who is uh, protective of her who also admires her. Um, he, he wraps his arms around her in ways that I could only dream um, my son would do. Um, he's 19 now, and he definitely thinks he's, he considers himself to be sort of a father and a brother and a friend and all those things to her. But he, he thinks he's my guardian. He thinks he's your guardian is right. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I remember you sharing me a story when they were both in high school of him really coming coming along and helping her in a situation and it brought tears to my eyes. I know he's been he has been a guardian angel to you and that really a true big brother to you. I you're very blessed to have his love and support. Yeah. It has to be hard going to high school and then uh you know, you get there and luckily you have a, a big brother who's a strong, well-liked kid there. And that had to be pretty helpful during your first year of high school, I bet. Yeah. Good. And then do you socialize? Do you have a group of friends that you hang out with, Bree? Um, I talk to a lot of people, but I only hang out with like a few friends just because like, I just hang out with, like, my closest friends because I know that they're always there and they, like, know me and stuff. That's all you need. It's about quality and not quantity. You know, it's key to just have a few close friends to help get you through, Brie. That's that's a tool. That's that Mm -hmm. part of that love resiliency tool. And with your friends or at home, do you find ways to laugh? Oh, I don't know. I just laugh at a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Still find things funny. That's good. Hey, you know what? We're we're going through tough times. Sometimes people get in a real kind of mopey, woes me um, mindset, and they have a hard time finding 
humor in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know I've always watched really stupid slapstick uh, TV to get get through some difficult times. Do you do you watch any kind of movies or TV that's funny, or do you go on to TikTok or something? I don't know. Yeah, I go on TikTok. Like if I'm in a bad mood and I'm like I don't want to talk to anyone, I'll like just go on TikTok. <laughs> That's your that's your tool to keep you laughing. That's always some funny stuff going on there. Yeah. And laughter, do you do you find laughter to be therapeutic for you? I think Bree has a hard time answering some of these questions because they they're just so natural to her um, to know how to accommodate herself. And she she does some of these things just so intuitively that to her it's not a big deal to figure out. What's a good way to help me um, get out of this funk right now? She'll she'll go into her room and watch Hannah Montana, for example, and have fun with it. Or she'll contact one of her friends who has her license, and they'll run up to the nutrition store and get uh, a shake or something. So she she does pull herself out of these things, and again, it just becomes such a part of her daily what she needs to do that to her it's not even noteworthy. I understand it. And just another piece of how Brie is such an independent and innate, resilient young lady. I mean, she just seemed to have been born with this, you know, being seven years old, diagnosed with diabetes is a pretty tough diagnosis on a kid. Nobody else is getting needles like this. Nobody else has to watch what they eat and count numbers. And then to add to that, just three short years later, the, you know, deafness and the vision issues that were coming and yet she continues to reach out to her friends to you to find humor and and Bree you're a cheerleader correct yeah yeah and is that how you kind of find your way to recharge or do you do other things besides cheering to recharge no I just cheer do you cheer for football or basketball, or both? Um, this past year, I cheered for both. Wow. It's not easy to get on the cheerleading team. You must have some great skills, or maybe inherited mom's cheerleading. <laughs> Is there anything else that you like to do to help you relax? My dog helps me. Like, he'll, like, he'll know if I'm sad, so he'll just come up and, like, cuddle with me. Oh my gosh, is your dog a therapy dog or is it just a dog that has this knack? Just a dog. <laughs> dog. <laughs> your dog He's a has- rescue dog and I I went through uh, a rescue organization and went through the interviewing process and selected my top several choices for her and then I sort of surprised her a little bit and took her in and when they brought this particular dog out, whose name was Scooter, Scooter laid Scooter, now Simba, right across Brianna's lap. And he was not going to move until we told him, come on, you know, you're coming home with us. Oh. And so it was just one of those moments. She knew that was her dog. He knew that was his owner. And they've been attached ever since. I love that story. Now, wait, how old were you when Simba, Scooter Simba, came into your life? Um, we just got him in November, mm-hmm. like okay. this past November. 
dogs serve as such therapy to us. I mean, they're our best friends and, and, and dogs, they actually have dogs trained to know when there's anything going on with diabetes and, mm-hmm. and your dog probably is picking up on some of that. Yeah. Yep. Without the training, just like you, it has an innate intuition and you have innate resiliency. You two were made to be with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Maybe you can take your dog to school with you sometime or every day. <laughs> Make it a therapy dog. We'd love that. Look at me starting yeah. trouble. I want to take my dog to school with me every day, but <laughs> I don't see that coming. Um, so talk to me about your dreams. Like, do you have any plans? What would you like to do when you grow up? Counselor? What? <laughs> I um, suggested she be a counselor. That's what Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, that's yeah. What I <laughs> Oh, is that what, what she, she said she wanted to be? Yeah. Oh, want to be a counselor. I love that. What kind of counselor? Like a therapist, right? Yeah, like a therapist. Not, not like a school counselor like me. You want to take care of kids one at a time and help them with their issues individually. Mm-hmm. I love that. Boy, would you be an amazing, <laughs> amazing role model and counselor for kids having gone through so much adversity. You'd be a beacon of of life for these kids that's a beautiful dream do you have any particular college or anything that you want to go to no I haven't even like really thought about that yet that's okay you're only in 10th grade that's okay you know there's kids in college that don't know where they want to go (laughs) (laughs) that's okay and they're in college for four years and don't know what they want to be so you're ahead of a lot of 18 to 22 year olds, Bree, you really are. And I'm so proud of you for being willing to share your story. This has been, I'm sure, a difficult and challenging nine years for you. It's not the typical childhood life that you've had to live. And sometimes people walk around saying, that's not fair, why me? But you seem to just pick up pieces like, this is me. This is my life, and this is what I need to do to make it the best life I can. And with the support of your family and your girlfriends, you've been able to live the best life possible. And gosh, going to school and cheerleading and going out with your girlfriends, that's wonderful. You've really normalized a very unnormal, abnormal kind of uh, a life that you've had to live. So I'm really impressed with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you two talking with me. I thank you and I hope and I pray for you, actually, Bree, every morning and every night. You're in my bees. I pray by the alphabet. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> you're under the bees, Bree. Um, thank you for being such a role model to kids. And I hope all who hear your story start to look at how fortunate they are with all the little things that they have in their lives and look at you as this role model to overcome adversity and still live their best life despite it. So thank you. I appreciate you. And I hope that you have a great rest of your life. Today's takeaways from our interview with Bree and Tammy are the following. When faced with adversity, especially a disease, you should advocate learn, and collaborate. Surround yourselves with those who know the most and can help you. 
God doesn't make mistakes. Anything anyone has is for a reason. And rescue dogs can serve as therapy to those living with adversity. Today's gratitude is Out of Difficulties Grow Miracles by Jean de la Briere. Well, that's it for today's interview. We hope our guests helped you overcome some of your adversity and learn some new resiliency skills to help you to live a more fulfilled life. Keep on dancing and don't stop believing. <laughs>